0: All right, welcome back to the Gospel for Life. Man, I feel like I haven't been here like in several months. Not not being able to see you guys across the table, it, it really hurts me, I just got to say. It's painful. Um, you know, I hate to say we did fine without you.
1: but
2: uh... I, I am sorry, but the depravity of my heart came out because you were talking about not being able to see us across the table. I'm like, well, then put your chair up. <laughs>
0: I, I'm I'm just as tall as anybody sitting down. Just yes, for the are. record, yes, you are. For Sorry. the record, well, <laughs> cool. I am back from vacation. Uh, my name is Josh from the Well Church in Boise. Cross for me, Pastor Jonathan Van Huguen from Day Spring, uh, Pastor Russ Herman from Cloverdale Reform Church, and then special guest host today, Tim Hazelbaker from Middleton
2: First Baptist. Glad you guys are all here. We are so thankful to have you back. I. Gladly relinquished the um, point guard role. I,
0: I'm sure the radio station hit, got thank you cards yeah. for getting me off the air <laughs> for the last couple weeks. So He,
1: he distributed the ball well. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, we are going to start a new uh, mini-series today on the gospel and idolatry. Um, at the end of the Apostle John's first epistle he seemed to tag on this sentence that was kind of incongruent with the rest of the letter. One of his chief aims in writing his letter was to give Christians assurance of their salvation. And so following that aim, he summarizes the letter in the concluding verses of chapter five, he says this, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. So Christ has given us eternal life. If we belong to him, we have that life. That's the summary of the letter. And then he tags on this final sentence. He says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. So is John just uh, attaching a postscript to his letter here? I mean, nowhere does he even mention observable physical idols in this entire letter. So what's going on as John concludes this epistle?
2: Thankfully, John is is very clear in his letters as far as he always puts a thesis statement someplace in his letter. Um, he does in the Gospel of John. Um, interestingly, John always does it deep in the letters or in his writings, He does so in 1 John 5 where he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So we know that the the overarching concern of his is that those that are reading the letter who are in Christ Jesus, how he closes the letter, what, what Josh was reading earlier, that they might know that they have eternal life. Well, John also has a pastor's heart and he understands that what would cause someone to doubt whether they're in Christ? What would cause somebody to to maybe even feel like they, they, they aren't a Christian? Well, misplaced affections. Mm-hmm. And so he's saying you want to feel close to Christ, you want to feel that union that you have, you want to experience that. You can't give your affections, you can't give your love to other things because that's going to undermine um, your sense of affection that you have from Christ. And so he's saying keep yourself from idols, and it actually then also increase, increases your assurance. Yeah.
0: Well, let's, um, let's provide some definitions then. Um, what is an idol? Um, can anything be an
3: idol? I have the J.C. Ryle. Definition oh that's of right, I forgot the JC Ryle fanboy J- was in the studio. <laughs> so you sent me this and I went, Well what does JC Ryle have to say all about all of this? That's kinda my modus operandi. Yeah, I like it. Uh JC Ryle, this is how he defines idolatry. It is worship in which the honor due to God in Trinity and to him only is given to some of his creatures or to some invention of his creatures. That's the basic definition. He expounds a little bit. It may vary exceedingly, it may assume exceedingly different forms, according to the ignorance or knowledge, the civilization or barbarism of those who offer it. It may be grossly absurd and ludicrous, or it may closely border on truth and admit of almost being speciously defended. What's speciously? I missed that one. Should have done a little bit better homework. I don't
2: speak (laughs) Rylees. Yeah.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But whether in the adoration of the idol of the juggernaut or in the adoration of the host in St. Peter's at Rome, referring to, you know, 19th century Roman Catholicism, the principle of idolatry is in reality the same. In either case, the honor due to God is turned aside from him and bestowed on that which is not God. And whenever this is done, whether in heathen temples or professedly Christian churches, there is an act of idolatry. Mm. By the way, spacious means whatever is false. There we go.
2: The the resident scholar. Thank you, Jonathan. (laughs) So, idolatry has just been defined by so many writers, theologians over the the years. Many of us in the room here are confessional. Um, So the Heidelberg Catechism says, in answer to what is idolatry, idolatry is having or inventing something in which one trusts in place of or alongside of the only true God who has revealed himself in his word. Now if you're a Westminster person, um, the Westminster Larger Catechism asks what is idolatry and gives this answer. Idolatry is having or worshipping more gods than one or any with or instead of the true God. It involves self-love, self-seeking, and all inordinate and immoderate setting of our mind, will, or affection upon other things and taking them off of him, in whom, in whole or in part, and people then have just taken kind of those ideas and shortened them. Um, whether they've said putting something else in the place of the one true God, or alongside of Him and placing one's trust in Him, um, Tim Keller, I believe in. About five different words. You have to understand Tim Keller has written one book and then put five covers on the book. So <laughs> he speaks about idolatry in many books. Um, Counterfeit Gods is kind of the the main one, and then he just pulls that out and then puts it in another book. So you just need to read one Tim Keller book, and you got Tim Keller um, across the board on this topic. But he says taking good things and making them. Ultimate things. Yeah. And I think that that definition,
0: I I like, I definitely like what Ryle said. And of course, what the Heidelberg and Westminster Larger said, super helpful. But I I imagine the person who might be listening to this program, uh, perhaps not even a Christian, and they were saying, Why? I don't worship anything. I don't worship any God. I'm an atheist. What would you tell the person who says that they don't worship anything or anyone?
1: Well, I think, uh, you know, Scripture actually refers to how we do that, how we take certain things and make them ultimate things. Um, you know, for instance, the prophet Habakkuk speaks of the Babylonians whose own strength was their God. So, yeah. you know, I mean, power becomes my my, my God. Uh, so there's, there is there is that sense in which we can turn anything into a God. You know, yeah. there's, you know, we, we love certain things. We, you know, that becomes the 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 goal for which we live yeah well you know human
0: beings we're made in a certain way we're made to worship and exactly and
1: and if we're not worshiping
2: god we're worshiping something else right it's interesting that the sin that is talked about the most in scripture hands down is idolatry yeah there is no other sin addressed more in in scripture yeah than the sin of idolatry well if that's true and it is then, for the person who says, "I don't have an idol issue," <laughs> right. it just becomes laughable yeah. because God wouldn't address something right. that that often and that that strongly. Actually, if it wasn't an issue of the human heart, yeah. Um, well, and we I, and we want to help you know y- you discover
0: perhaps what idols you're worshiping. So, so, so just to emphasize Jonathan's point, you know. Um, we were made worshiping beings. So it's not, it's an inescapable concept. It's not whether you worship something. It's only which thing do you worship. Um, so uh, J.K.A. Smith wrote a book, uh, You Are What You Love. And he, he he basically fleshes this out by saying, look, you can't not build your life on something. You can't, you can't not not um, aim at some sort of kingdom. It's impossible to not be aimed at some purpose in life, and that purpose, whatever it is, is your God. Mm-hmm. So, for the Christian, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's our aim, and that's when we repent of our sin. We're repenting from from other gods that we temporarily pick up, and we're putting them down, and we're aiming back at God. But for the non Christian, it could be a multiple, uh, a multitude of different things.
2: I think Jared Wilson had a, a, just a, a, a nice little quip. He said, all sin is idolatry, yeah. and none of us are by, bystanders to idol worship. And I mm-hmm. think that captures it, yeah. that at any moment when we sin, what we are saying is that at that moment, we love that sin more than we love Jesus Christ. Now, naturally, we don't love the sin more than Jesus Christ but at that moment, we did, yeah, and and that's really the sin of idolatry, where we're placing something above God, and, and most often it's just ourselves. Yes, mm-hmm. so the object
0: is just the kind of the superficial idol; mm. self is the deep root. So, if we're pursuing money, at that moment, it, this money is the superficial idol. Self and my own aggrandizement is the the deeper root.
3: Would you say that's the universal reality of idolatry? That no matter what we pick to worship. At the end of the day, we're picking what we worship.
0: I would say yes. I mean, I think that's what Genesis 5 means. Mm-hmm. When Satan tempted um, Adam and Eve in the garden, his, his fundamental temptation was, you can be like God. You can be autonomous. You can choose your own choices. You can
2: be holding to nobody. Mm-hmm. I, I believe so. I, I don't know what you guys think, but. I mean, John Calvin used to say that man's nature is a perpetual factory of idols. Mm-hmm. That our very nature is to set our affection yeah. on something and to choose that, yeah, the human heart
1: is an idol factory, you yeah. would say you know we you mentioned that book by by Tim Keller called counterfeit gods, and i you know really, I think that his book is a wonderful summary of 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 this subject of idolatry, very i mean, in one sense. And uh, there have been a number of books that have followed. Of course, you know J.C. Ryle's uh, you know, treatment of idolatry, but it is really a subject that is largely ignored as an overarching um, kind of uh, worldview when it comes to understanding where our struggles are. Yeah. You know, we otherwise we're just we're we're putting names on different every little different
0: sin, where it
1: it is ultimately idolatry. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Um, I don't want to ask this next question on, until tomorrow's show, um, maybe just a tease. What is ultimately the problem with worshiping idols? Because I, I want to really flesh it out some more. Um, I guess uh, any any resources that you guys would um, suggest to our listeners ab- above and beyond counterfeit gods that, that maybe doesn't deal with idolatry in, in particular, but maybe just sin? Something that would be helpful in
2: fleshing these things out and examining your own heart? There's a book that I read last summer, and I, I'm trying to remember. I think it was called Sipping Saltwater. Water, um, I believe was the title. And it was a dealing with just how idolatry doesn't satisfy. Yeah. Um, that it's like sipping salt water. Yeah. That it works for a moment, um, but it's not sustainable. But I cannot remember the author. Well, there is a Puritan paperback. I know we'll have some at the conference
0: coming up. We will. Um, Ralph Venning wrote a book called The Sinfulness of Sin. And the table of contents alone is super helpful because, like the Puritans, they, they they very much directed you to a very specific, particular topic. So The Sinfulness of Sin by Ralph Venning, I think, is super helpful. And with that, um, we do want to remind you about our come our conference coming up, October 21st and 22nd. Uh, the, the name of the conference this year is Oh Church Arise it is our annual Boise Reformation Conference uh, you can go and register for free at reformationboise.com um, we are um, in the last part of the race here running up to it it's going to be really exciting um, lots of churches are involved um, it is for free there's going to be lunch, um, lunch there that you can purchase there's going to be books that you can purchase and there's going to be great fellowship please don't miss it go to reformationboise.com we'll see you next time